five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. Jason, you're my co-pilot today. Yes, sir. We have an exciting episode. Do you realize that this is episode 90? That's awesome. 90 episodes of ranting and raving and rambling (laughs) and wasting uh, everyone's time. (laughs) Now, that doesn't include the other segments that we do. We've got our Winning War Cry segment and our Age of Sigmar uh, Talking Warhammer uh, content. So we have done technically over a hundred recordings, but of our kind of tabletop and beyond purist, this is episode ninety. So ten more episodes and we hit a hundred. Yeah, should should be good. Um, I mean, it's cool to think that we've produced over a hundred episodes of some form of content, but to hit just a hundred episodes on this general main channel of ours is pretty cool. And here's to a hundred more, my friend. Yes, sir. Yay. Cheers. Huzzah. <laughs> Huzzah. Well, we've got a good episode for you guys today. We are going to be talking about the best Halloween games that you can play with your friends and maybe even your family if they're not too scared. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, Jason, let's get into our Geek Week. Why don't you kick us off? All right, man. Scorn is finally here. I, and I have played it. I probably have uh, only about six hours into it now, but... Um, it's it's what I it's exactly what I thought it would be, right? It's a slow puzzle game with some uh with some combat. Okay. But um it is and it's set in a world that is themed very much like an HR Geiger nightmare. Uh so it's very much you know biopunk um is some a way I've seen it described. Uh, I like to say like a body horror. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, you're 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 solving puzzles and progressing through the game at the expense of your biology. <laughs> we'll say it that way. But Interesting. Uh, it is a very slow game. So if you are the type of person that wants to run and gun shoot through a nightmarish hell, this is not Doom in any way. This is this, and this is one of those games that has no context. It has no tutorial. It's just you start and you tear your you tear yourself out of the ground. And begin to progress through this nightmarish landscape, um, and figuring the game out as you go. Uh, so, really like it. if you ever played like Mist mm-hmm. or Phantasmagoria or any of those kind of like adventure games where it really has a lot of like mystery and puzzles that have to be solved for progression, and the puzzles getting puzzles get increasingly difficult as you play. That's what this is. Now there is a slight feeling there is a slight amount of combat and I'm it's starting to ramp up I'm not sure if it's going to get intense or if it's really just going to be more of like a survival horror feel uh, yeah where every now and then something comes after you yeah Uh, I would say you know initially it was you know like maybe I was probably about I was probably about two hours into the game before I met my first 
thing mm. that attacked me. Um, Did it freak you out? No, because you kind of you were already in an area where you saw all of these things and you were kind of waiting mm-hmm. for one of them to kind of, you know, slap off the wall and attack you. And so when it happened, you kind of, you're like, okay, all right, let's see how this is going to work. But um, I will say this, it's not a scary game. Okay. It's not a scary game. It's it's just a freaky nightmare game. Yeah, it's maybe like um, for some people it might be queasy. Okay. Because of the the biology aspect of it, but it's not scary in any way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so that's my first one, Scorn. Uh, nice. It's definitely worth looking. Now I'll say this: its graphics on the Xbox are, I think, good, but not the best that we've seen today. I think Alien okay. Fireteam puts this to shame. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this is one of those where, like, if you get if you run up close to the wall, like, you can see, like, the anti-aliasing that's happening. Oh. And it's like, I kind of was like, aren't we past this, you know? Like, with yeah. with, with kind of current engine, game engines. But um, if you get too close to some items, you can see that they're kind of low res. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has a huge sense of scale. So, like, if you look off into the distance... Um, they've done a really good job with scale and theme. So like the color palette that they used and the artwork is very consistent and it maintains a good like feel to it. But the, the graphics are, are okay on the mm-hmm. Xbox. Um, just something to keep in mind. But Interesting. Yeah. Second thing I played was Citizen Sleeper, which is another game on the Games Pass. This is an amazing game. I am going to be praising this game for a long time. Um, it's an indie game. By uh, a one a one man publishing company, um, name of the company's Jump Over the Age. They've made a few games, uh, published by fellow travelers. A twenty. It is a. It is released this year. It is a single player uh, kind of role playing adventure game. Okay. Um, set in a really cool theme. So you you wake up. Um, you are a. You're in a robot body, but you're a mind that has been downloaded from a real individual. Oh, interesting. So the way it works is that, uh, you know, this is the future kind of a cyberpunk feel, but out in space where you've kind of sold, you've signed away your life. Um, and the way it works, you've signed away your life to this corporation. They downloaded your mind and installed you into a into a body called a sleeper mm-hmm. robot. And then you have since felt oppressed by this corporation and tried to escape. So you escaped and landed on this kind of derelict space station that used to be owned and run by the corporation, but has since the corporation that did run it has since gone bankrupt. And, you know, many decades later, um, the natural uh, people who stayed on the station evolved their own kind of society and their own kind of government um, uh, kind of, I don't really know yet, but kind of a government setup. And you're living inside it, trying to survive. Meanwhile, while the corporation is trying to hunt you down to reclaim their body, but it, their robot body. But it is, it is a very unique gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you don't walk actually walk around. It's more of like a map style game where you visit. You know, today I'm going to visit a certain area of the space station, and I'm going to do stuff there. So then you would, you just kind of scroll around the space station map. Oh, interesting. Okay. To do things, and every day you roll dice. You roll six dice at the beginning of the day, and then you can apply those dice to certain tasks on the station, uh, depending on the value of the die and your own skills that you've leveled up. 
for your own attributes, mm. uh, you'll have a greater success. Um, now that that's the mechanics of it. What makes this game shine is the atmosphere. The the music is is amazing. I found myself listening to the soundtrack uh, throughout my day. It's very like eclectic, and what you would think in like a space station out in the middle of nowhere where people are trying to survive on. But the writing from this individual uh, is just, I mean, it is so good. Uh, it is, it just pulls you in. You care about the relationships you're building with the people. Um, you know, it's like a choose your own adventure. Every time mm-hmm. you do a task, you can, you can change the outcome of, of your relationship with an individual. Some, some of those relationships meet, meet hard, really bad endings of them can make progressive endings. It's just, it's, it's amazing writing. Uh, there's an enormous amount of reading. It's a storytelling adventure uh, game. Oh, okay, all right. But it is just, uh, you can tell this person has, you know, a degree in literature um, and, and loves games. Highly recommend it if you like adventure games, um, but you want a break from kind of running around and click and clicking yeah. and shooting things. You just want to maybe maybe dive into a book, but aren't really interested in getting into a book. This is a great, a great futuristic sci-fi uh uh, setting there love it it's kind of like a choose your own adventure game anyways yeah, that's, that's cool. i just that ranted awesome. for a little bit but i love it i i highly recommend everyone to give it a try and stick with it because it's another one of those where he did he does a really good job um uh giving you a tutorial but he doesn't give it to you all at once so when you first start playing the game you're like what what am i doing what's going on and, and it gives you just a little bit of help to continue to progress to the next part. It's probably not until you're about maybe about 30, 45 minutes into the game that you really get a sense of what you're supposed to do in the game. So stick with it if you're going to try it out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that, that's um, it for me. Yeah, that sounds cool. I uh, Sometimes the choose-your-own-adventures are a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And this one is – I love sci-fi stuff, and this is very much a cyberpunkish um environment, which yeah. – which uh, Cyberpunk seems to be a theme for us today. Yeah, and video games, because uh, my Geek Week, uh, while my wife was out of town, I did a lot of playing of Cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. I'm probably about 50% done with the game at this point. Um, and I can tell based on the tasks that are on the map. Mm, you know, not okay. necessarily, like, done with the story, just like... Um, so if, if anybody here played The Witcher... Uh, you know, I mean, like, they were kind of criticized. They had a huge map and, like, all these little question mark waypoints that you could go to and resolve a little thing. I loved it in The Witcher because um, those little things tied to a regional story that was going on. Like, for example, there was this one village that you had to go check out, and you find out that this guy, um, this lord, came in and um ended up on like on the wedding day killed this lady's husband uh, groom right mm-hmm. and um dumped her down a well type of thing <laughs> and she now she's this like moon wraith that like you have to take care of like she's a monster yeah. right yeah. well later on you find out that that same guy that um had that lord that had come and killed these people um, he was out on a hunting trip and had a uh, encounter with one of his fellow buddies. Okay, 
and the groom saw him and swore he wouldn't tell anybody but went back but then the lord came back and killed him to keep him silent hmm. you know and so like all these little tiny side quests were yeah. like tying into the story and you're like oh my gosh and you're like piecing this together you know and you're like holy cow and it just really made the world feel rich and Connected. Like alive and connected, you know, and the lore was just super solid. Um, and that was for The Witcher, which was really great. Cyberpunk 2077 just does not have that. Yeah, it's um, just a bunch of little stuff to do in the world. Yes, and it's it, it has become already super repetitive. So there, there are a lot of games that, like Red Dead Redemption, uh-huh. one of my favorite series. Um, well, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite, but it's one of my, it's a series that I really enjoyed, but... I, I spent probably a hundred some hours playing the first game, but only yeah. progressed like twenty percent through the through the story, <laughs> doing yeah. random crap off yeah. onto the side yeah. that had yeah. nothing to do with progressing yeah. the story, but still having a fun time playing the game. So right. in this situation, are you still having fun playing it? Oh, <laughs> I think that, that answers the question. question? Yeah, um, Red Dead Redemption, I think, is another great example to bring up. I loved hunting in Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, totally. You know, like I'd be out there like stalking my prey and yeah. like, tracking and all this stuff. And I mean, it just had so much fun doing it. And it was like, what main quest? Who cares? Exactly. I'm like out here just having <laughs> That's fun. That's right. I'm hunting coyotes. You know, um, this one, you're just running around the city. You get these police alerts and it's like, oh, there's an assault in progress. One of like a thousand that are like on the map and they don't mean anything. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just like there's some flavor text that you get like when you like. You know, they have these what are called shards, which are like little data chips that you can like kind of read messages and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah, I understand why they committed this assault, but who cares? Like, it doesn't tie into anything. It's just a thing to do, you know? And um, I I really don't like games like this because I am a completionist at heart with games like this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I haven't done the game justice if I don't do everything that's on the map type of thing. You know, yep. and so now I'm like, feel obligated to like continue this. And I'm just like, I know it's not going to go anywhere, but I feel obligated to do it, you know, yeah. which is my kind son... of stupid attitude. But that's I mean, that's kind of how I play games. Well, my son would struggle with. First of all, I wouldn't I would hope my son would not play this game right now. But <laughs> yeah, for other reasons. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, he he's like you, man. He's a complete like years ago when he was a little kid and we still had like it was like the Nintendo uh, DS. Yeah. Yeah, or not the Nintendo DS. What was the one that was like a? It was like a square flip screen. Yeah, that was the DS. Was that the DS? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it had the Nintendo DS, and we got him Lego Batman on it. That dude got one hundred percent of that game. I mean, yeah. Every yeah. character unlocked. Every you know little pip or whatever you could get. I'm yep. what, I remember one day I said, "Dad, I finished the game." I said, "Okay, what are you talking about?" And then he gave it to me. He was like, "Oh my gosh, you actually did." <laughs> you like literally <laughs> finished the game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm going to keep playing it. The story is interesting. The main story, it's interesting. I enjoy I enjoy it. Um, the characters are kind of cool. Uh, I So I think that the main story is probably its strongest part of it. It's it's kind of interesting. Like, there's Keanu Reeves has a character that's in it, and he's, he's kind of evolving as I'm going along, so that's good, too. Um, but it's just all the side stuff just feels, you know, it feels more like Dragon Age Inquisition. Did you ever play that? Yeah, I tried. Yeah, where you're just like, dude, I just am doing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And like, what does it really matter other than to level up my character? Yeah. You know, so, 
Um, it's interesting though. I mean, like it's an interesting like world and concept and stuff that's going on, but, um, really what it's doing is it's giving me insight as I go to read the cyberpunk red RPG book. So I'll have like a flavor of content. You're doing research. Yes, I am. Exactly. (laughs) So, but like I've leveled up my guy to the point where it's like, I roll up onto like one of these like things that happens and I'm, I'm like an offensive um, net runner. Essentially I build out my guy. You know, so he can hack yeah. everybody. And I just, what I do is short circuit their Bioware that they have in them. And I just roll in and I'm like, dead, 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 dead. Okay, that's done. <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm just hack, yeah. hack, hack. And I've like built them to where he can hack really fast and do like really potent stuff. But Have you watched the um, the Netflix series yet? No, I didn't know there was a Netflix series. Yeah, there's series. a cyberpunk Netflix series. Uh, it's an anime style. Yeah, okay. I'll say this. It is not kid-friendly. Oh dear. Okay. As you would expect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But it's so be careful because you know my kids bro- my kids are like a lot are on an anime kick. Yeah. So they're flipping through Netflix, popping new animes. Like this one looks like a normal one, but uh, it is absolutely mature. I mean, there's you know it's nudity like, um, and mature it's content. It's like uh, what was it? Uh, Castlevania season three. Yeah. Although <laughs> I, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> But that's too bad because, you know, that was just like little things here and there because yeah. the Castlevania was an amazing series. It was great. It was so great. Even my wife loved it. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one right out the door, it's not pretending to be anything else. Mm, interesting. Okay. But anyways, uh, if, right. so if you're looking, you're a mature uh, man. So yes. uh, if if you're looking for more information mature? to help. I am an adult well, male. Mature <laughs> <laughs> is another story. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for more information to give you some background and be, you know, maybe that's another that's way. That's true. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the other thing is that I ended up getting my new resin 3D printer set up and running this weekend. Nice. Yeah, so um, it's pretty good. I ended up printing printed a Riolu uh pokemon for my daughter yep and that was the first real print after the calibration prints that i did so i got uh, the resin dialed in and the bed level by the way leveling the bed on this is like child's play oh my gosh yes like compared to that asus that we had yeah or not asus uh the ace yeah, yeah it was asus right yeah uh, no that's a it was a prusa 3 knockoff yeah yeah Whatever it was. So anyway, but like my bed had warped, so trying to level that thing was a nightmare. But this mm-hmm. one, I'm just like, there, the friend There's that no I leveling. bought. I know my friend that like he's like, so this is how you have to kind of just level it, and you know, like, and I'm like, like okay, that's that's it. He's like, yeah, but you gotta like make sure there's resistance. I'm like, resistance, Shh, brother, please. Yeah. Like, I've, like <laughs> I was like, I, <laughs> you know, I was like, I was there when the deep magic was born. Do not cite it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but then, and then you only have to level it like once every yeah. like way not that often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jim, so, our buddy Jim gave me his. He, oh, did he? Yeah, okay. he came actually the same weekend too. He came over and uh, installed it in my house, and so I've been printing some things here and there too. It's oh man, it is just so much more hands off than the FDMs were. Yeah, I mean, you have to do the post processing of the prints, but honestly, it's not that it's, big of a deal. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, there, the, so. there is a lot more smell. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm going to move mine to a different room just to keep it cuz it was stinking up the entire basement. Yep, same. Mine uh mine's in a back room, but I can vaguely smell it when I enter my basement. So I'm like, hmm, I'm going to figure this out. I ended up getting a um cure wash station. Oh, you bought uh from uh from who? 
just got it from Amazon. It's a it's a um, anticubic. Yep. The anticubic one. The anticubic ones. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, it was really really good. Like, you know, you just like washed it, moved it over, put it on the cure thing, did it, and like I. So I which one do you have? Which printer do you have? I have the Mono S. Oh, the Mono S. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've Is got that the, what it's the yeah, Anycubic Mono S. I think. Uh, photon S, Photon. Photon S, S not Mono yeah, S. Yeah, yeah. Photon. Because yeah, with the Photon, yeah. So Jim, our buddy Jim, gave me his, and his was one of the original. So it is the Anycubic Photon Classic. Oh wow! So it has the uh, the multicolor LCD. Um, yeah. You know, which actually, interestingly, there is a Halloween sale at Anycubic right now. You can get their you can get their Anycubic Mono 4K for 189 bucks. It's a good deal, man. It's a really good deal, considering you know, you know, what was it like? Uh, four years ago, resin printers were like five hundred plus. Oh, easily, they're like yeah. eight hundred to a thousand, depending. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I'm just I love how smooth everything comes out. It's really nice. Yeah, it's great. Have you had any failed prints yet? Um, other than that, well, so it's funny the Riolu first Riolu that I did, like its leg just was missing. Oh. That's like weird. it was super random. Like I think the support that it, um, the support that was supposed to go where the leg was didn't get quite finished. Like that one support, and so like it just didn't end up printing the rest of his leg. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've had a failed print. I I went. I had some really good prints right off the bat, and then I decided I was going to try to make a big one, and I tried to lay it out to where I thought the supports would be good, but I I didn't do it right, and it um it didn't suction off of the FEP. Are you using? Oh yeah. Are you using? Um, what what slicer are you using? Uh, I'm using. I'll tell you right now, it's a Chidu box to do this okay. the hollowing, the holing, and the supports, and then I use AnyCubics Photon Workshop to convert to the Photon Photon format, because oh, this this printer uses the older Photon format. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, I use Leechy, the mm. Leechy slicer. And the nice thing about that, it's got like a support wizard, and I just hit it, and it's like, here's your supports, and so far. Yeah, I think all of these right. have. I think all of them have support. Can do the ports themselves, and at least all the ones I've looked at, um, I haven't seen that as like a differentiator in the slicers yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't yeah. used to be that way. No, I mean, even even with our FDM printers, like you had to be like, okay, I'm going to put a support here and pray. Yeah, it's works. evolved quite a bit. The industry, it's cool yeah. to see. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, what I would like to do, and I think I had talked about this, is um, doing some contests where we 3D print some stuff and being able to send it out to our our people that listen. Yeah. You know. Um, well, I'm gonna. Yeah, I wanna. My goal is to print busts, and I wanna work on skin tones. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So I'm gonna print like you know I don't know like 15 busts, and then not, and then just experiment without having to really care if I yeah. screw up or not. Yep, that's good. That's good. You need. We need to get. Um, when Devin I say busts, I mean. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, some of them are. Let's be careful when you Google for busts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we need to get Devin Maher down here and do a painting yeah. class because, um, like, he he changed the entire outlook of how I'm painting, and I was painting some Kill Team Orcs over the weekend too, mm -hmm. and I I really like how their skin's coming out. I, I'm going to do a little bit more to pull out the highlights, just a bit more. Um, but like already, like they look striking compared to some of the other stuff that I've done before. Mm. Yeah, we should totally. So, so yeah, very good stuff. Um, but Jason, with Halloween around the corner, have you thought about what to get your friends for Halloween? 
Well, um, if they, if your friends like to play games that include little uh, cubic thingies that you roll on the table to help you determine outcomes, yes, I think we might have just the thing for you. And we're not talking about Starbursts or Mambas, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because this is no treat. Well, it could be a treat. You know what's funny? No I wonder treat. if you could use Starbursts for D2. Actually, that'd be kind of hilarious. It like would, wrapper side up, like the yeah, yeah. side up. Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, this is uh, this is uh, no trick but a treat, everybody. Baron of Dice is offering a discount on all of his dice uh, right now. If you use promo code Tabletop and Beyond, you get a discount. The show gets a kickback. It's a win-win for everybody. It helps us keep quality content coming to you, and you get quality resin dice that is hand-swirled yep. quality stuff. Good-looking stuff. Go check them out at. Uh baronofdice.com remember to leave off the www uh, yep. and uh, look at all the cool stuff he's made very good and use promo code again tabletop and beyond tabletop and beyond thanks guys yep thank you alright Jason let's talk about some geek news I was telling you today that if you love gaming and love reading which a lot of people do the creator of Settlers of Catan is coming out with a tri- uh, trilogy novel his first book, which is about 576 pages, is called Catan Ein Roman, which in German means a novel. It takes place in Norway in the year 860. Half-brothers Thorof, Ingvi, and Digger help the daughters of the Viking prince Haldor to escape. Haldor's revenge is not long in coming. He roams through the territory of the Liberators, pillaging and banishing them. The brothers have no choice. With settlers who are willing to emigrate, they set out for new shores and after an adventurous sea voyage, reach Catan, the land of the sun. But the island presents the brothers with enormous challenges. Will they stand together to offer the settlers a brighter future, or will this task divide them? And the real question is, what is the sheep-to-wood economy? (laughs) Right. I wonder if half the plot of this book is going to be about like, you know, like I'm going to trade you three bricks for two sheep, you know. Yeah, I don't know that 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 paragraph you just read seems like it could be a setup for really, you know, an intriguing challenge and then <laughs> what if it really turns out to be like like it's all about trade and economics and I would I love know. it if, like, the you know, they settle and then the next novel, like the second book is like about their children and they're like Watch out! Horloff is building the longest road. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and then there's a thief, right? There's a thief and a soldier. Yep, and a know? soldier. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So interesting. I mean, it sounds like yeah, it's we'll gonna see. be fantasy novel. I, yeah. I just, I, I wouldn't have picked Catan to be like a fantasy setting because it's such an, it's such an economic game. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably a fan base out there that this is for. Which uh, it, it prints, I think, uh, in just the next couple of weeks, but only in German at this point. So if you yeah. speak German, you'll like it. I'm sure it'll probably get translated to English at some point, yep. but uh, realize that it's out there. There you go. It's out there. Uh, item number two, Assassin's Creed is getting its own tabletop board game. So if you are a fan of sneaking around and doing your thing, you can go check out Assassin's Creed, the board game. Um, 
it is coming out from cool minis or not so you know that there's going to be some legit miniatures in here and actually i almost want to get the game just to paint up some pretty sweet assassins now i think that there's a chunk of stuff where you're playing in the modern day and historical eras so you know you know like you you played some of the assassin's creed games right yeah mm -hmm. the worst part of those games were in the modern day where you're like wandering around the abstergo labs and you're like dude why am i doing office work in this game <laughs> you know what i mean like why am i running around different cubes looking at posty notes mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know like it was kind of like uh okay so, but apparently that's part of the board game. I imagine that, you know, there's like pop in, pop out type of stuff that happens. Um, but, you know. So it, I'm, I'm struggling to understand CMOS playing this. Is this a board game or a role-playing game? It is. Well, that's a great question. Okay. So here's, here's what this says. This is part of the announcement. Overseen by Simon's head of IP and RPGs, Francesco Nepatello, who helped do the One Ring RPG, Zombicide Chronicles RPG, Dune War for Arrakis, players in Assassin's Creed role-playing game will create and play as descendants, modern-day characters whose ancestors were famous Brotherhood assassins of old. Players will also create and play as several of those same ancestors, one for each time period. They'll visit in their missions by entering the Animai uh, network. Guiding their adventures is the Animus Operator, who is the DM, I assume. It's their duty to set the scene and guide the players through the game. So it sounds like, you remember how Dan had his like, Time Travelers like mm -hmm. board game that he made, right? Benjamin Franklin Time Travelers. Mm -hmm. It sounds like this is kind of that, where you're like in modern day, you're like part of the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, where you're kind of like jacking into like the Animus Network. And you're solving puzzles and riddles, but you're going back to different time periods. So, like, one adventure could be you playing, or, like, you know, two or three adventures or something like that. You could be playing in Jerusalem. Another one you could be playing in Moscow, like, during, you know, World War, the end of World War One. Another one you could be playing, like, during, you know, World War Two, French-occupied, um, or Nazi-occupied France. You know what I mean? Like, you could mm -hmm. jump around mm -hmm. to a lot of different time frames and play some of these different ancestors and um, just kind of go that way. So it sounds like, I mean, it's an RPG. Um, and I think Dune War for Arrakis won, like, the best game at the Ennies last year. So the dude who's um, over this, I think, has uh, um, got some experience with it. Yeah, I think uh, reading more on Simon's side, it looks like they're going to have book deluxe books and then game supplements like maps and figures and yeah uh, that kind of stuff so yeah it sounds like it's actually going to be an rpg that just has a bunch of um off the shelf stuff you can get to maybe you know do not not have to play in theater of the mind yeah and i mean like simon's perfectly poised for that right where you can get like the templar pack or something mm -hmm. like that of, of like mm -hmm. miniatures like in for middle eastern stuff you know or you can they might have like a russia pack or like they might have a you know what i'm saying like yep. Yep. they can yep. have different things and i bet that those will correspond with different book supplements so yeah like, that could be you cool. know so like for example there might be a east like a um ancient china like book then so it'll have like different weapons it'll have different you know yep. i'm just speculating here but i can easily see that happen so um, there's a wealth of content because you have the entire world's history to draw from. 
You know, there could be a Rome yeah. book, there could be an ancient Greece book, there could be a Persia book, there could be, you know, just so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, as a GM, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't, uh, I don't care. I think that it can be good for some groups. Uh, the, you know, the free league publishing likes to give a lot of maps and even card decks of cards. Yeah. That help players connect their imagination to the story that's happening yeah i don't have a problem with that you know that i prefer theater of the mind uh, but i like maps um what right. i don't like is i don't like tiles i don't like mm. you know i don't like the restrictions on mechanical movement of you can move 30 squares and then you can you have a range of two squares and i don't yeah. like that stuff it feels too board gamey to me I gotcha. But I don't mind I don't mind stuff you can put on the table to help connect your imagination to the story. So, here's here's my here's my concern and it has nothing to do with um like the miniatures or anything like that. My concern is that like as a GM, I'm going to need to become an expert in uh, ancient Rome. Oh, I need to that's, become that's an expert in ancient Persia. I'm going to need to become an expert in like World War II France. I'm going no. to be, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you'll have to. I think that uh, I think that uh, I bet that the books will give you enough back background information. Yeah, hopefully, 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 yeah. But that would suck if you had a group that had that level of expectation. Yeah, yeah. I think you just have to set that up front. I'm not an expert in ancient Rome. Yes. My knowledge unless, is what the book has told me. Unless you are. Maybe you're an ultra expert and then you like go too deep. Like oh, you're maybe. the other. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe. they're like, stop, stop. We don't, we just don't want to be in the cast slave system. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'll be interested to see uh, pre orders go out in early 2023, it says. So um, we'll look, uh, keep our eye on that one. Uh, Elden Ring, the board game, it was announced back in September that this was coming out, but I did see that it jumped up onto Kickstarter right now. It's just a placeholder at this point. Uh, it's coming November 22nd, 2022. It is being put out by Steamforged Games Limited, which is the same company that did uh, Dark Souls, the board game. Uh, Jason, given what you know about Dark Souls and about the Elden Ring, how how do you think that the gameplay of this is going to differ, if at all, from Dark Souls? Or do you think it's going to be essentially the same same style of play? Well, uh, Elden Ring and Dark Souls has very similar style of play. Yes. Uh, so I would expect that this board game is going to try to capture that same feeling mm -hmm. in a different setting. What I would maybe see Elden Ring is, you know, the thing about the Soul series and even Elden Ring is they're very, they're very tied into an underline, an underlayer of deep lore that right. uh, goes multi layers down. You can play the game and not care at all about the lore. You can. Right. Uh, and totally play through the whole game. But you can also spend so much more time digging into those layers. So I think that what we'll see is a Dark Souls board game that maybe focuses more on campaign style uh, themed on the stories and the interactions of all of the characters in Elden Ring that are all tied together. That's what I'm anticipating. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, I would be interested because the Dark Souls game, like 
I, I really like it. You, you, I mean, you and I both like the Dark Souls game. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it has like that. The movement is kind of from point to point on there. You know, I'd be interested. You progress to, through it. You know, well, yeah, but I mean, like, there's like literally like a grid of points on the boards. That oh, you, you mean the board up. game? Dark Souls, the yeah. board game. Yeah, yeah the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the board game. So there's points where you like when you move, you can move two up, or you know what I mean. Like you, you. Mm-hmm. Are, are kind of attached to a sort of a framework grid on there. Um, I'd be interested to see if it becomes more like a skirmish game where you maybe you have a ruler and you can move minis any direction you want. I don't think it will. I, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the um, demographic they're shooting for. Okay. And that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what this is like. Yep. So, um, but yeah. Because uh, there is a big demand for skirmish games out there right now, um, but those mechanics of like movie, the way the movement worked and the way that the, you know, the action order was yeah. like you had to be able to, in Dark Souls the board game the way you win is you exploited those action orders like you knew that it had to move towards somebody, you knew that it had to turn a certain way depending on the card that it drew. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, well, it had an AI that engine that was running it, and that AI had the restrictions of the grid of the board. Yeah, yeah. And you did, and you kind of did too. So you had to learn how to play and exploit against that, you know, and that's how you won. And so that gave it the same feel as the Dark Souls, uh, the video game, which is you had to learn how each enemy worked and exploit them against each other, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Um, anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, let's see. Deep Madness. Why don't you kick us off with that one, Jason? So Deep Madness is, is one that we have talked about, well, probably a couple uh, on earlier in the show. But uh, this is this is uh, by um, – oh, I'm drawing a blank. Dimension Games. Dimension Games, right? Small company uh, back in 20 – I don't know, 2018. 16 actually 2016 they raised over 2.4 million dollars 10,000 backers uh to do the original deep madness which is a game set as a uh uh down uh, um a horror game that combines kind of like bioshock um with uh uh kind of a hp lovecraft feeling down on the bottom of the of the ocean a space uh, a not a space a science station that has gone awry and you and your team arrives down there hoping to do some fun research, find that the place is opened interdimensional connections to other realms and horrors are pouring through and and doing all sorts of crazy things and you've got to basically just survive. But it has a really interesting flooding mechanic where the board type game tiles are flooding and you have oxygen meters you can asphyxi- asphyxiate. Uh, you have a madness and a sanity, or you have a sanity and a health just like Arkham Horror. Uh, or like a lot of those games do, um, and it has a really fun fast mechanic when you get playing the game. I've played yeah. it actually recently uh, with a couple of our board game nights, and and we're trying to tackle through. It's also very scenario driven. So there's you know the the base expansion had lots of um, scenarios that told a specific story, and there's many expansions. Well, what's cool in the news here is that they are now back for their third reprint and edition of a new expansion called Deep Madness, Madness Reborn. And Madness Reborn actually has seven fan-crafted scenarios. These are super fans that have been part of the community for so long that they've crafted their own scenarios. 
and the company has taken these and, and baked them into a box with a supplement book and new miniatures. And this is one of those companies that, you know, Simon I think, makes great minis. Dimensional Games minis are really, really uh, mind-boggling and amazing as well. Uh, they yeah. do not spare an expense for their minis. And their minis are very big. I think one of their minis is like 150 millimeters tall, 130 that's millimeters awesome. tall. Yeah. Yeah, huge minis. Um, and, and that's that's scaled to a standard 28 millimeter. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's standing like almost yeah. you know, five times taller than that many. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, they're on a Kickstarter right now for their third reprint. So if you didn't get in before, please do. This is the only way to get a hold of the Deep Madness games. They've only ever been through reprints on Kickstarter. And there's a new expansion. It's got it's got about a week left to go. Um, and they've raised about two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Now I will say that their first one they raised two point four million. Their second print, one point eight million. And this one has only raised 275000 So I think the game's showing its age a little bit, to be honest. Uh, age in its community as well. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a reprint too, right? So it's yeah, like... Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, a reprint and a new expansion. And you can just buy the expansion. Right. So I was going to... I'd be curious to see how many of the expansions are going. Right. Versus know. the full reprint. And they're trying yeah. to do things like you can buy an upgrade kit that will upgrade your original game with with new cards that they've done like me you know they've they've incorporated the facts into the cards mm, mm. and stuff like that you can buy additional tokens and dice but i i am i am most likely just going to get the expansion but uh we'll see here's the thing they have already had three maybe f they have had tons of expansions so far one two three four four giant box expansions and one two three four five six seven eight mini expansions wow they've had a ton of content for this game so it's kind of like i've got a lot of stuff on my shelf that is still sitting in the plastic wrap right <laughs> so right. i'm like i don't know yet if i'm gonna go full in but i wanted to make sure the announcement was there if anybody wanted to get in now's the time and it might be again showing as it's decreasing i think in its support it might be one of the last times to get a hold of this without aftermarket. Yeah, interesting. Yep. Cool. So that's cool. that item. Yeah, check it out. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. Yep, on Kickstarter. Very good, very good. Uh, the last bit of news that we have is that Free League Publishing, obviously we have a big soft spot, soft spot in our hearts for them. They announced that the One Ring, Ruins of the Lost Realm, will be released on October 25th, which is in about a week uh, from this broadcast. Uh uh, and so this book further expands the RPG as you'll have a chance to explore a few known areas of Middle-earth that have been spoken of and written about here and there, but contain whole new adventures for you to embark on as a group uh, for your TTRPG party or as a GM to run as a game. The book is going for about $35, and you can pre-order it right now ahead of release uh, on the, um, the Free League Publishing website. So... Um, go ahead and check that out. I know that I've got the One Ring starter set that we have yet to that we have yet to play, just mostly because of uh, scheduling conflicts, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. But I am dying to get that going because we need to get some hobbits running, especially with the end of the uh, Rings of Power series that was on Amazon. Yep. So, did you have you watched any of that yet? Nope. Okay. And I've already expressed why. Yeah, I will say that it, uh, the last episode 
plucked it from the fire from me and put it back into the pan. So I don't think it's not, it's not done cooking yet. Um, but it was about to be burned to a crisp, but the last episode pulled it out. I saw someone on one of my, you know, Facebook circles, I don't know, uh, posted and said, said something on the order of, uh, I'm really happy with what happened here. The only suggestion I would be is to, Really, really slow the story down a little bit more so that we can really build into the the individual character progression and the world building. Just slow it down a little bit more. Don't speed it up as much. <laughs> I hope they're saying that tongue in cheek. I know. I, that's I. I saw that. I was like, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think, I think oh. it was tongue in cheek. My uh, my daughter was like upset with this series until she really saw the last one, and then she's like, "Okay, yeah, like, but that sucks, man. Like, do you is, do you really have to? I mean, how many episodes? Eight episodes. So you got to right. invest seven hours. Oh, they're not just an hour. Some of them are an hour fifteen. Yeah, so, so you got to yeah. you got to invest ten hours to yeah. get to a single redeeming episode. Yes. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's good entertainment. Um, I think yeah. Uh, and so the question is, is will season two be like now that like all the roots have been laid, like the, you know, the, the, the people, the characters are in the places that they need to be. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but the characters are in the places yeah. that they need to be. And you know, what's what now I think that you can start pushing forward on the story. Like you don't have to be like, okay, who are all these people? You know? So, so is this one of those where like, you know, fans took episode one and two of star Wars and made a fan edited version that was one hour long. And the entire first episode was the first five minutes. Yeah, like, probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it took a while to get where it needed to go, you know, so. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. But then once it got there, you're like, okay, I can see where it's going. So the question is, is are they going to slow it down again or are they going to, like, keep pushing forward, you know? So we'll, we'll we won't see. know it for another year at least, I think. Yep. So anyway. All right. Well, Jason, that's our geek news. We've done our geek, uh, we've done our geek week geek news. Let's talk about our main topic today. When this comes out, we are less than two weeks away from Halloween. And what better time than to either watch a totally freaky movie with your wife, who will be scared for the next week, or play a board game with your friends. Yeah. Or you know? or your kids. Or your kids. Or your kids. Yeah. So uh, if you're not the into the watching totally scary movies on Halloween or dealing with annoying trick-or-treaters... Why not check out some of these great Halloween games that we have curated for you? Mm-hmm. So Jason and I have chosen three of our favorite Halloween games. Uh, we have a couple honorable mentions, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So Jason, what is your first Halloween-themed game that you would love to play with your friends, family, and or kids? Yeah, so my first one, which I have played with my kids before, is Ghost Stories the Board Game. This game um, is, uh, oh, I don't know how to, I'm not good at pronouncing things. You are. Uh, but anyways, it was made It was made quite a while ago. I think 2008, 2009. It's an uh-huh. older game. It's a four-player co-op game set in, I believe, somewhere in inland, inland China. 
and um, it's it really has that theme. It has a very like Chinese lore uh, uh, theme. The ghosts that um, are in the card deck are look you know have that very um, that that aesthetic to them. The board game or the tiles look look like you're in that part of the world. Um, but it's it's really cool. It's basically the theme is uh, there's this this village uh, somewhere just deep in it doesn't really matter where deep in mainland China where you have nine little village tiles in the center of the of the table and approaching those tiles are four player boards that have ghosts that spawn and try to get into and haunt those village tiles. Um, and the villagers are looking to you to rescue them. So you are four um, kind of monk-ish, um, I don't even really know what you are, uh, some sort of magic monk users that start off in the middle of the village. And you basically just have to move around these nine tiles to try to tackle these ghosts that are approaching the village from different angles. And the, and the angle that each ghost comes in on and their turn changes every turn. So you, you're kind of having to work together to say, okay, well, you go to that corner of the village. I'll go to this corner because um, this ghost has got, if we don't take care of him, he's going to haunt this this tile before I get there. And so it's very much like a tactical co-op game. It's also a very difficult game. I think it has, on BoardGameGeek, it has somewhere on the order of a 40% or less win rate. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, there are various difficulty levels when you set the game up to play. I'll say I have never played on anything other than the easiest difficulty level. And then after we finish the game, when we have won, we usually realize it's because we forgot a rule, so we say it's the easy, <laughs> easy level that we played on. Nice. But, but um, you know, uh, look, uh, look it up. It has um, – it's very fun. It's very engaging. It's one of those games that takes about an hour to play once yeah. you get it set up. I played it with my kids. Um and uh, the cards, if you have kids that get scared with pictures, the cards can be a little scary. The ghosts can get a little scary in the pictures. But um, it's also very colorful. It has kind of a colorful atmosphere. Uh, but it's also very, like I said, it's a very hard game. It's very challenging. The whole time you're playing the game, even if it's not your turn, you're interacting and you're strategizing together. Um, and it has some really good mechanics for scaling the difficulty up with the number of players. Yeah. So I, I recommend that as a uh, go-to kind of family Halloween uh, ghost story night uh, board game. Very good. Very good. How about you? Um, so my first one that I want to talk about uh, is Betrayal at House on the Hill. At Haunted Hill. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's Betrayal at House on the House Hill. House on Hill. It's not Haunted Hill. You, we keep mess. Every time we see this, we me- mix it up with the uh, the Netflix television. Series. I do every time. <laughs> and so the reason I looked it up on Board Game Geek was just because of that reason, because I wrote it down wrong too. Yeah. So uh, what I love about this game, if you haven't played this game, it's for three to six players. It's best if you've got five to six players. It takes about an hour to play. It starts out as kind of a co-op game where you're just sort of exploring what's around you. You're in this haunted house. You can go up to the third level. You can be on the main level. You can be down in the catacombs. Or I guess not catacombs. It's the basement. Um, There is a different version of this called um, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. I actually like this version better. 
Uh, the Betrayal of Baldur's Gate's fun if you're a D&D nerd because there's all of the, you know, D&D spells and you've got, mm. like, Vecna's hand and all that stuff that's in there, um, which is a lot of fun. But I, in terms of a Halloween game, this is a much better one. This is actually, like, um, a haunted house that you're going through. And the best part of this is, it, for those that have no idea what this is, you play this until you end up spawning a haunting and when the haunting happens, whoever ends up spawning it usually ends up cursed somehow. And they become the villain. And they have a mission that they have to do. And then the players have a mission that they have to do. So, like, you know, the, the haunted person, maybe their job is to um, end up, uh, you know, dropping certain items in the house to summon a, a deadly portal. So they know that they have to get to, like, certain rooms in the house and leave a token there. Mm -hmm. Right. And then mm -hmm. the players have to maybe do the same, but in their like their things and you can like kind of flip tokens. And so it becomes adversarial at that moment. Um, every time I've played this, even with people who aren't really good at board games, we always have a good time. Like we always have a good time. And the thing that I worried about this game in the beginning was, oh, the person who ends up spawning the haunting, they're going to feel like the odd one out. They're going to feel like you know, why did this happen to me or, you know, like, um, but I've never seen that happen. They always like everybody who like becomes the bad guys kind of like, Oh, this is crazy. Okay. I've got a mission to do. And you know, so yeah, I've, I've seen, um, I've seen it happen once where okay. just the way the setup was, uh, the, the person who became the haunting became a vampire, I think. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, it happened to them when they were in the basement. Oh. And the way that the board had evolved, there was no way to get out of the basement except to climb something. Like, there was no stairwell into the basement. It was a hole you had to climb up. Oh. And their character specifically said they could not climb. Oh, and geez. so they were trapped in the basement, and they could not get out of the basement. So everyone else just ran around collecting items, getting beefed yeah. up, and then they just stood at the edge of the basement and fired in. Yeah, that would be a negative play experience for yeah, sure. Yeah, but that's a one-off, just odd way that it ended up. And we could. seems like we scenario driven. <laughs> like it probably wasn't like um, that. The player felt bad initially about being chosen to be the haunted one. Yeah, right. that's a good point. Yeah, it, but it just kind of like goofed up on them. But as uh, they as they started like taking account of the situation, they're like, oh, this yeah. really sucks. Oh, wait a minute, I can't do so, anything. So, um, yeah. yeah, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's super easy to play. Um, it's got kind of this. You've got different stats with your characters: sanity, might, speed, intelligence, and like you can be getting knocked down in like each of those different areas, and then you know die. Your characters yeah. can actually die in this. So. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, again, it's like co-op in the beginning, but then it becomes adversarial at a certain point. And uh, we have the Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, just as an FYI. We do have the Baldur's Gate one. I got that one because my kids were kind of into D&D. And um, they really like this game. They think this game's a lot of fun. I think, I like, one the, 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 I think I like the house one better. I do too. Because I like it contained inside of a haunted mansion kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah. I do too. It the uh, mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate like spills out onto the streets and yep. so I think that the um the mansion one and it, it to me is a little bit more thematic, right? You got like people wandering around with flashlights and Yep. You're like, Don't go into the basement, but then you go into the basement, so I always gotta go into the basement. I always gotta go into the basement. So this one's uh, publisher's Avalon Hill and Wizards of the Coast. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can find this game anywhere, and it's really not that expensive either. You can get it in Target, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of fun. One of my yeah. favorites. Yep, All right, yep. what's, your, what's your second one? My second one is Escape the Dark Sector. Uh, this is a 2020 game uh, now by uh, Themeborn. Now, we actually have a uh, YouTube video of an we unboxing do. and how to play this. So please go check out our YouTube channel, Tabletop and Beyond, and look for Escape the Dark Sector. Um, yeah, you'll find it in the um, in the Game Reviews playlist. Yep, Game Reviews playlist. So, yep. but. This is a great one for me. I love this game. It's super themed. It's super story feeling. Um, it's got fun mechanics, quick to play. You are basically you start the game. You pick up you pick up your crew, and you the the game starts with you turning over a chapter card that says you have broken out of prison down in the belly of the dark sector. And the dark sector is a station on the dark side of a planetary moon. Um, and uh, you, it's a very kind of adventure-ish game where you turn over chapter cards, you read the chapter flavor text, and then there's a challenge. And you have to, as a team, decide how to tackle the challenge. You tackle the challenge by rolling your dice. Um, and a lot of times those challenges will result in having to do combat. And you can do ranged combat. You can do melee combat. You can get items, bigger guns, as you're progressing through the sector and flipping over those chapter cards. Uh, it's quick to set up. It's quick to tear down. It's fun to play. It has an amazing art aesthetic, yeah. kind of a black and white, hand drawn. Everything is hand drawn. Um, kind of a nineteen, I don't know, probably somewhere between sixties to seventies artistic style. You, you know what it reminds me of is, um, do you remember that book, um, Scary Stories in the Dark? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like see that a, a little. it's like a sci-fi version of that. Yeah, I could see that. You now know, there whereas, is a yeah yeah go ahead. I was gonna say whereas like Scary Stories in the Dark was like, you know, just kind of like not fantasy but just kind of normal. Yeah, just weird supernatural things, you know? stuff in our normal yeah, world. Yeah, but it was but, all black and white, kind of like hand-drawn type stuff. Yeah. If you're not into sci-fi, there is a, another version that came before this one called Escape the Dark Castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played. We got to play the Escape the Dark Castle this last Gen Con. We've always been Dark Sector fans. Uh, Dark yeah. Castle uh, plays a lot like the Dark Sector, except I think it's actually a little bit simpler than Dark Sector. Um, it was there. It came first, and when they when they then created Dark Sector to to produce their sci-fi setting, they added a little bit more mechanics to make it a little bit um, a little bit uh, maybe more interesting. But I think both games are fun. They do have a little bit of a they do have a little bit of a horror feel, you know. It is a dungeon crawl, and the dungeon changes every time you play because you shuffle those chapter cards around. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like to think that it's kind of a dark. When I'm playing it, it's a dark, sinister sci-fi, where you can come across, you know, mutants that are trying to kill you. You can also come across bounty hunters. Um, uh, you can come across friendly people who sell you things, uh, and then there's always a boss store at the end with some crazy mutated thing that you have to kill to finally get to your ship and escape the dark sector. So fun game. Check out our video. Now, definitely check out our video. Now you have played this with your kids, I believe, right? Oh yeah. Cause my kids love rolling dice, right? Yeah. And so flip the chart card and you know, one of my kids will read it and we'll play the other kid. will be like, what do I do now? I just want to roll the dice, you know? So (laughs) right. Right, exactly. It's easy to play. And it has a real fun health tracker that's kind of like an EKG machine um, as you're kind of ticking your help up and down. And so the kids love to kind of draw on that. 
it's a fun game. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so my uh, next uh, game that I have is Werewolf, the card game. Right, so this is a social deduction game. It's a great party game. I think you can play it with up to like 36 people. Um, and you know, you got some people who are werewolves and some people who are townsfolk and the idea is like root out the werewolves. So, you know, I mean, Halloween's great cause you usually have Halloween parties. Uh, you know, some of your older kids may not go trick or treating. They may just kind of hang around and either watch a scary movie or not, or play some games. Well, werewolf should be on the list of those kids playing it because it's a great game for a large group of kids. Um, and adults too, if you're having an adult party, uh, you know, great game for a large group of people, easy to pick up, easy to do very interactive, of course, since it's a social deduction game. And, um, you know, the theme is it, uh, werewolves. I mean, like who doesn't love werewolves on Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a fun, it's a fun, I, I like this version with the cards because, it puts a nut, it puts a little bit of structure to it to help those big social groups kind of be able to grasp the rules and play quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, and we played, I don't know about you, but I mean, we played werewolf before anyone had any, it was just, you know, someone remembered how to play and then you'd all get together and sit around in chairs in a room and yeah, and yeah. just play the game. Kind of like mafia, right? Yeah. Mafia murder in the dark or whatever, yep. you know? Um, so the nice thing is, so this is werewolf, a party game for devious people. You can get it on Amazon right now for $13. Right. So, great to have in your just on deck if you got a large group of people playing and you know again you don't have to play this at halloween but if you've got a halloween party going on and people are kind of staring at the shoes like why not pull it out <laughs> right you know so mm-hmm. and there's interesting ones because it's like it's got 20 villager cards 10 werewolf cards eight wild cards two seer cards two doctor cards to moderator cards, to village drunk cards, to witch cards, to alpha werewolf cards. I don't know if I've played this version per se, um, but it sounds fun. It sounds yeah. like you know the different roles. We played like it our, at it... our board game nights a few times. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 worth doing. It's you got to be a. Most people can get together and play social deduction games. Some people get frustrated with them, but that's just that's just the way it is. But and some people you'll lose their trust forever. 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 <laughs> So I don't know if uh, did I t- I don't know if I told you this, but my wife came home and she was uh, your your wife and my wife had gone to the beach together, right? This last week, yeah. And uh, my wife came home and she said that they were playing games, and your wife looked at my wife and says, "I will never trust yep. your husband again." <laughs> <laughs> yep. And my wife's like, "Oh, I'm there with you, sister." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, you know. I said, here's the thing. This is how it's going to go. This is the cycle. They won't trust me until they lose a couple of games because they didn't trust me. Yeah. Right? And then they'll be like, gosh dang it. And then they'll get to a point where they're going to be like, well, i got to trust him because I've lost games. And then that's when the betrayal happens again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. I I, I always struggle with these games because I have a hard time. I have a hard time adjusting my persona to to try to convince people one way or the other like i i try to play this game and say i'm just going to really pretend to be who i really am and yeah. and people because they're playing a social deduction game they think that i'm lying and so they'll 
<laughs> I'm, I'm usually the kind of guy that gets killed when I shouldn't be killed. And I'm like, I, right. I told you, like, well, you looked like this. I was like, I looked like the way that I am. You just thought, you just, th- and I don't mean like the way, the way that my card is. Yeah, yeah. You just thought I was trying to trick you. It's like, well, you behaved like you were trying. I, like, I don't know how to do this. Because <laughs> we got some, the problem is that we have some people when we play these games that are really good at those games. And the problem is, is if those people come to the table to play, then everyone doesn't trust anyone because they know those people are playing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what makes these games fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, cool. Yeah. So that's my second one. Werewolf, the party game, a game for devious people. Yep. Be devious. Nice. Yeah. So my third one was one that we talked about earlier in the news was, is deep madness. I, Mm. Mm-hmm. I love this game. Um, I'll tell you this. It is a beast to set up. Uh, it a takes, lot of components. Oh, my gosh. It takes probably... Th- I'm, I feel like I try to get faster every time, but it really takes about 30 minutes to set this game up um, because you set it up differently for every scenario with the tiles and the boards. But what's great about this game is, like I said, you're you're. it's a dungeon crawler on the bottom of the ocean, um, and you're in this station which has been had some sort of connection to an interdimensional, probably portal to hell of some fo- of some form. Uh, it's a very nightmarish game. Um, so your players, your characters are losing sanity. It's a horde game. The board becomes overrun very quickly. The goal is not to kill monsters. The goal is to outrun the monsters while you're trying to do the objectives and finding them only when you have to. But it has this really cool. Yep. Has two really cool mechanics. One is the which I mentioned before, which is the flooding. Because you're underwater, certain boards are flooded boards, and when you're in those rooms to take actions in those rooms, you have to tick down an oxygen dial. And as you tick that dial down, it can move you closer and closer to death. Um, and that's kind of a cool mechanic because it makes you like really play the you know action. Um, um, uh, what's it called? What do we call it? Action. Uh, uh, economics uh, yeah, to okay. really say, yeah, you know, yeah. what what can I really? I know I want to move and then shoot and then and then pick up the item. What can I really do with the oxygen I left? Maybe I really can only move and pick up the item because I'll run. I'll start asphyxiating. But the other really cool mechanic is it has a really strong AI uh, system that mm-hmm. randomly. Uh, what it calls devours a tile. And when you devour a tile, you flip it over. And when you flip it over, it looks exactly like the tile that it was, except now it's like a deep red tint. And then you, it has monster spawns on it, and it spawns monsters from that tile now. So as you play through the game, a chapter scenario, there's kind of a race to, the, to finish the scenario because the boards are all starting to become devoured, and the monster spawns are growing, and more and more monsters are coming onto the board. And typically every time we play this game, when we get to the end, the board is just overrun with monsters. Yeah, yes. and, if, and if we win, we win by like, uh, like one final action. And we right. wouldn't would have lost if we didn't get it. Yep, yep. That was my impression playing it. It was like by the skin of our teeth. By the know? skin of your teeth, and it's it's really, like I said, it's a really fun AI. It moves the monsters for you. The monsters all are different. They have their own things they do on their turn. The initiative order is interesting. You know, the, the monsters go in between each player, so you really you have a general idea of what's coming next, but there's always a little. There's always a little uh, things could go wrong and more things could come, more monsters could come. So it it gets to be very horrifying very quickly. Um, so I think it's a good I think it's a good Halloween uh, play. 
Yeah, definitely. You got that uh, kind of cosmic horror happen. Yeah, cosmic. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Which brings me to my last game, which is Arkham Horror. We kind of have talked about this uh, throughout the show as well. Uh, Arkham Horror is a great game. A lot of components. The setup time isn't easy. But I um, played this, I think, one time with uh, you guys. I think, uh, was it our buddy Dan Flinton that had this game? Uh, me. I have it. You have it. You have it. Yep. Okay. So I uh, played it with you guys at uh, GuildCon, I think, one time. And then I also played it at Gen Con another time, um, which was a lot of fun. Now, the lady that I played it with at Gen Con, she kind of had some house rules to speed it up because we only had yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. three hours, yep. I think, for the game, you know, right. so we needed to kind of get it going, which was fine, you know, and, and the house rule, is a, it, it made it a lot of fun. Uh, but this is a great game. I mean, it's a it's a HP Lovecraft Call of Cthulhu game. You've got cultists that are running around. You've got horror things that are happening to you. Your character is slowly descending into madness or you're trying to keep up spirits while you're also investigating different areas. Um, it's got a very, very distinct HP Lovecraft investigator um role i think that that it's definitely its strongest part of the game um you know that it's it's very thematic in that in that sense it's very thematic and its focus is to be true to the cthulhu mythos Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is extremely true to the cthulhu mythos so much so that you can get sucked into the various you know <laughs> voids yeah uh and different um uh dimensions that are referenced and the various monsters and and elder gods um all exist and they'll show their face it's it's really if you love hp lovecraft's cthulhu mythos this is the game to play to experience that and this is this is an old game mm-hmm. you know it's yeah uh, yeah, it's been around for a while. I mean, fa- uh, Fantasy Flight Games put this out. Gosh. Um, well, I, I don't think they were the first version either. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe. We'd have to look it up real quick here. But um, uh, yeah. there's so many expansions, too. I mean, it's ridiculous how many expand. Like, it, you can't fit it on a dining room table, like how many expansions. you yeah. got to put tables next to your table to be able to fill. And that's the, one of the gripes I have with the game is I played this thing to death. I love the game. It's very story-driven. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it's another one of those games that is a beast to set up because there's, like, five different decks of cards. They're all different. Actually, there's, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think it was like 10 different decks of cards. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, a monster bag, a grab bag yeah, where you put all the right. monster chips in one bag. You know, there's the investigator tokens. There's the clue tokens. There's there's just so much stuff to set the game up to get going. Yeah, this um, came out in 2005. 2005? So we're, we're coming yeah. up on 20 years, buddy. Yeah, that's... That's crazy. That's a long time. And I think it still holds its weight. It's got a 7.2 rating on um, on Board Game Geek, which I think is great for a game as, as old as it is, right? And um, it says that, you know, it's for one to six players, but it plays best at four. And I agree with that. I think four is good because six, like, is going to take a long time um, just because of all the stuff that happens in a, in a game, yeah. you know? Yeah, we do a house rule when we play it um, where uh, uh, in certain phases every, you do simultaneous play because otherwise yeah. it just it can take – it's like it doesn't really – certain phases where you're fighting monsters make sense. Your movement, The movement phases is where the mining, fighting monsters phase. 
But there's other phases where you're just drawing cards and reading yeah. story elements. Like everyone just gets their card. Everybody reads their card. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of progress. Otherwise, it takes a really long time to play. Yep, yep that's true. Um, but I think it's great that, you know, anything H.P. Lovecraft has a strong Halloween feel for it. You know, he's got that New England kind of um, – mysterious supernatural element about it and i mm -hmm. think um every time that it gets to be fall time i don't know why but i i want to start reading like an hp lovecraft story you know just because i kind of get that sort of new england you know supernatural feel that i'm just like okay it's time to start reading hp lovecraft yeah. so um, yeah, so evidently this was a remake of a 1987 board game called arkham horror oh interesting yep yeah. Wow, so it's been around even longer. Yeah, for sure. And and here's the thing: it's um, I think you hit the the nail on the head. You said this really stays true to the Call of Cthulhu mythos. You know the the H.P. Lovecraft mythos. There's a lot of a lot of Cthulhu games out there. There's a ton of Cthulhu games out there, uh -huh, for and sure. I would say a lot of them are just board games with the Cthulhu skin on it. And they're kind of like, yeah. okay, mm -hmm. that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it's okay, but it doesn't really like give you that lore, that feel, that that immersion that maybe this game does. Yeah. yeah. So it's great. Uh, all right, so that's like uh, my top three right there. Do you have any honorable mentions, Jason? I do have an honorable mention. This is a this is one for your kids on Halloween, right? So Halloween's can be you can have the scary fun aspect uh, or the scary fearful fright night aspect, but you can also have the fun with little kids. And so there's there's one that we recently played called Castle Party, okay. which is a flip and write pumpkin king ball party. So flip and write. Um, we've talked about rolling rights before. Yep. Um, flip and write, which actually uh, there's a zombie new zombie side uh, game out. Flip and write came out. What it is is you know you draw cards and based off of the cards that you've drawn you are that you pull from a let's use the words right so don't confuse pull cards from a deck and based off of those cards you draw pictures or shapes usually usually shapes mm -hmm. or check off boxes on a card in front of you mm. um, and uh, and and the goal is to do something with the card in front of you whether it's to ultimately achieve a certain shape that you've drawn onto the pad in front of you or to mark off certain boxes to gain resources, and so on and so forth. But that's the mechanics. You're not rolling a dice. You're drawing cards and then using a pen and actually drawing it, usually a dry erase marker, onto a dry erase board. So this game is a, a fun little game where everyone has a board in front of them that is a castle. It is the Pumpkin King's castle. Oh. And all of the monsters in the realm, and these are all the monsters you would think of, like Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy... Like all of uh, all of these um, zombies, all these kind of classic ones that kids will recognize, but not have to really have too much knowledge about. Yeah. They're all trying to come to the Pumpkin King's ball, and your goal is to try to fit them all into the castle so that he can have the most outrageous party um, this Halloween night, right? That would but be the funny thing is that when you draw a card, it's like a Tetris shape. So you have to kind of formulate, you have to take this Tetris shape and try to draw it into your castle to get as many in your castle as possible and try to group them by their monster type because the monster types like, the monsters like to stick together. So you end up getting these, 
Yeah, you end up getting these kids that, like, you, you can't ever fit it perfectly in because it's a weird Tetris shape, so you have to draw some of the monsters into the moat, and those count against you at the end of the game, or some of them onto the drawbridge. Yeah. They can't make it into the castle, so they don't get points. And at the end of the game, you just look at your board, and you count up how many monsters did I get in, and then how many of them were grouped together properly, and, and that's kind of it. And it's a really simple game to do scoring. It's a simple game to play. Uh, and it's got a little bit of a fun Halloween-ish feel for probably kids of a younger generation. If you're looking for an intense game, I would not say anyone probably, you know, 13 years or older might get bored of this game really quick. But you can also yeah. play the game in about 20 minutes. Nice. Nice. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, my honorable mention is one we've talked about uh, a couple of times on the podcast. It's Zombie Side. Uh, yep. Back in 2000. It's a great one. Yeah, man, what was it? 2008, 2009, I think. Um, my wife and I had a Halloween. It had to have been 2009, 2010, actually. We had a Halloween, and I sat down and I said, let's watch something kind of freaky. And we turned on The Walking Dead. <laughs> the original? The original one, mm. yeah. Was so, it the Technicolor version or the black and white? Oh, no, 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 no. It was The Walking Dead, the show on AMC. Oh, The Walking... Oh, not the yeah. original... Um, not The um, Living Dead. Not The Living Dead, okay. Yeah. No, yeah, it was yeah. The, walking, the Walking Dead. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, like, Halloween and zombies go like peanut butter and jelly, you know. Uh, mm. So, what a great time to be a group of survivors, just like in The Walking Dead. Where you're trying to survive in a town where there's just hordes of zombies and you're just trying to make it out alive. So, uh, you know, Zombicide's a great game, super fun co-op game, and uh, there's a lot of value in that game. I think you can get it for like $50, the base game. Tons of expansions that you can get. And then, again, we talked about before on a previous show that uh, Cool Minis or not, they put out weekly scenarios that you can play. So, a lot of fun there. A lot of fun there. So that's uh, and you can play this with teens. I think I think at the castle party, flipping right, pumpkin king ball, is maybe a little <laughs> too simple for your kids. Play zombie side with them. I think there you go. Time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, are there any games, Jason, that you haven't tried that are Halloween themed that you'd like to? Um, I think one that we mentioned that we looked at briefly when we were kind of setting the show up was Mansions of Madness. Yep. Mansion so of Madness. Another Cthulhu game, right? Another Cthulhu game. Yeah, I love Cthulhu games, and I love Cthulhu game. Well, I'll say this: I love Lovecraftish, Lovecrafty games yeah. that have simplified the mechanics from the Arkham Horror to reduce playtime. Yeah. Um, now, but I think Mansions of Madness kind of has that. Uh, feel of kind of a uh, a mansion that uh, you know you can set up and you can kind of dungeon crawl inside it a little bit as it as it plays. I don't know much about the game beyond that the aesthetic looks fun and the the game mechanics look familiar enough to where I feel like it could be fun to sit down and and give it a go. So the interesting thing about Mansions of Madness is it's one of those games that has an AI app. Mm. Oh, apps. Yeah, okay, that kind of yeah. helps you do that, right? So I think that, um, again, we haven't tried this game, but it did win Best Co-op Game in 2016. Um, and uh, it was a Best Game Reprint in mm. 2016 as well. Mm. So there's that. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's very similar to, like, um, the new AI-assisted Descent or the Journeys of the Middle-Earth from Fantasy Flight Games as well. 
where you kind of explore different things and then you hit a tie, you know, you hit a spot on the map that corresponds to a spot on the digital map and you, you know, hit on that and then things happen. So, um, you can play it solo. You can play it, um, you can play it with uh, friends and it's a kind of a co-op game. So it looks cool. I think, um, I think I saw it retails for like about, uh, $89, $90 is where I saw it one time. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be uh, probably a little bit more, a little less than that, but that's about what it goes for, which puts it in line again with the, um, journeys of middle earth and the descent. Yeah. A lot of those game. app driven games. Yeah. They're like yeah. kind of close to around a hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. I think that's what would make this, I think that's, what's going to make this, you know, maybe a little different than your standard, like, you know, uh, castle Ravenloft or. Or any of those others that you you know uh, <clears throat> group of tiles. You set the tiles down and you wander around those tiles for that playthrough. This one has the app, um, and I think we're seeing you know more app usage moving yeah. forward. Yeah, um, kind of give so that this, augmented reality feel a little yeah. bit. Yeah, right? so this would be one that would be fun to jump back to to see how did they how did they employ this you know back back when app app run games were really first just starting to come out yeah and so um you know what would make this game great is if they got the dude who voiced the um um darkest dungeon yeah i know you were and was like there. the narrator for it mm-hmm. that'd be amazing well i tell you that's what would have made the darkest dungeon game more amazing oh if dude they had, if they had an app and if they had an was... app that had that guy's voice on it that played it that would have actually like you're like okay you pulled this card right now hits play yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like yeah that'd be sweet that'd be pretty cool that'd be cool All so right. um uh, yeah my honorable the, the one that i haven't played that i'd be really interested in is the horrified game right this is kind of a um i think when we were talking about this earlier you described it as an arkham horror light um but what it is is there's like you know monsters that have escaped that you're trying to kind of wrangle up and and uh take care of and that's like uh your frankenstein creature from the black lagoon um you know dracula like all these kind of like 1950s scary movie monsters that are roaming around your town they've come to life and you got to kind of go out and take care of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so have you played this one though i have i've okay. played it uh and i feel it is a fun game it's it's if you're it's a great Halloween game because yeah. you know like I said Halloween can you can take two approaches you can take the fright night or you can take the goofy fun scary stuff like Frankenstein yeah. and you know that that stuff Frankenstein this one, Frankenstein this one has <laughs> that kind of a feel to it uh, you're running around trying to keep the monster the monsters are trying to the monsters are trying to move to specific locations on the board, and your goal is to try to do what you can to thwart them from from getting there. Like it's funny, like mm. for, and all, and the monsters all have different objectives, and you draw the monsters randomly when you play. Like so, F- Frankenstein and his bride um, are trying to meet each other, so they start on opposite ends of the boards, and and as the game progresses, they're moving slowly closer and closer to each other, and if they ever if they ever meet at each other then yeah. you know basically then you're getting close to losing the game so you spend your entire time trying to push them away from each other and try to de- trying to defeat them so it's a fun easy mechanic game i mean like super easy there's like two things you can do in your turn move and do something and that's it yeah so so it, it, so what you're saying is family. if frankenstein gets his booty call you know, <laughs> all of us 
Yeah. Yeah. A problem for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're like, we, at this point we want to lose. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I thought it looked fun. I thought it looked like a fun family game too. It's easy right? to play. Well, so yeah. I think it's a good family game. It's only like yeah. 35 bucks or something. Is that what you nice. said? Or? Nice. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Something cheap. And I think it's, uh, I think you can find it in like bigger stores too at this point. Um, so. yeah. And there's, there's been a reprint already. Um, looks like there's, there was a reprint last year okay. uh, in it that adds additional monsters like Bigfoot and other things like that. But Oh yeah. There's like universal monsters. There's like American monsters and stuff yep. like that. I mean mm-hmm. the universal monster one, like on Amazon, it's got four and a half stars rated at 5,688 times. Yeah. It's pretty good. You know, and it's $35. Yep. So, you know, that's a great, that's a great, uh, it's a great price to, you know, kind of do play with your friends, play with your family and, um, and very highly rated. So yeah, jump into it. Yeah. Very good. So yeah, listen guys, uh, hopefully you have a great Halloween planned. You have lots of friends and you know, now that COVID's over, kids do their trick or treating, but maybe afterwards you can have your friends over and play some games or over the weekend before, and uh, jump into some of these kind of scary-themed, Halloween-themed games. And hopefully this podcast helped you decide which one you're going to play. So if you are going to play one, let us know on social media. Let us know what you think uh, because we'd love to hear what you're playing and we'd love to see some of the games that you're up to. So, uh, But until then, until the next time, keep the dice rolling and uh, we'll catch you later. See ya.